recording. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers and sisters. Welcome back to the T2M. We are missing the king of intimacy, but that is all right. We are gathered here today with Brother Ahmed. I had done a, a podcast with him in his podcast. What's your podcast called, bro? It's just called the Ahmed Khan podcast right now. Mashallah, mashallah. Listen, if you guys haven't seen that one, as soon as you're done with this podcast, we will leave a link in the description box so you can check out his podcast specifically. But today, my bro, before we even get started, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Um, my name is Ahmed Khan. Um, so I am the founder of the Ahmed Khan podcast. I currently uh, have a history degree, um, a bachelor's degree in history with a specialization within Islamic history. And um, I am a research assistant at Reclaim, which is an organ Muslim organization aimed at uh, working with school districts and universities and institutions on reforming their curriculums on Islam. Because we believe that uh, the core problem that we're kind of dealing with here is education. And so much of my work involves my work at Reclaim. And um, aside from that, I'm currently enrolled in a program to, uh, for studying Islamic law and theology. Um, and so inshallah, I'm doing a bachelor's degree there as well. Um, related to our topic here, uh, related to Malcolm X, I've published uh, a critically acclaimed article on my website at ahmedkhan.ca titled Mecca in Malcolm, how Mecca reached Malcolm before he did. And it's a 21 page article, which Malcolm X scholars have uh, acclaimed as something which is unprecedented, which doesn't exist within our literature. And so uh, much of our conversation today will touch upon it. Uh, but, and if anybody is interested in learning more about just the generic life of Malcolm X, may Allah be pleased with him. You can head to my channel, uh, Ahmed Khan Podcast, and you'll find a lecture I did at a prominent university on his life and also on his legacy. Um, and thank you guys for having me on. Just a color here for being here. Bro. Yo, are you repping that Shure MV7? Say that again? Your mic, is it the Shure MV7? You know it, bro. You know here it. Here we go, bro. Real recognize real. Oh, that's cute. All right, Bismillah. So before we go on, I'm assuming that none of our... You know, let's just go in assuming none of our audience knows who Malcolm X is, right? Mm -hmm. So go into that. Just give us like basic, brief uh, foundation. Um, before I begin, I just want to quickly say that uh, I'm not too interested here speaking about the legacy of Malcolm X, rahimahullah, from the African-American perspective and the legacy that he's had upon that community, because I feel there's um, people more qualified, but also because there's so many facets to his life that we can discuss. And inshallah, we will touch upon some of them. But for those who don't know, uh, Malcolm X born, Malcolm Little, um, was born during the, before the civil rights movement in America. And he grew up with crazy experiences, you know, seeing the KKK kill his father, seeing white men take his mother uh, away from them and putting her into a mental asylum in which she never recovered for. And because of the conditions within his life, it ultimately led him to become radicalized. And so he became a drug dealer. He became a pimp. He became a criminal. And ultimately, Malcolm X ended up in prison. And while he was in prison, he began to reevaluate his life. And he came upon the teachings of what was called the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam is not Orthodox Islam, but it's a different sect. Um, well, I wouldn't even call it sect. It's just a completely different religion created by somebody named Wallace D. Fard, who claimed that he was Allah. So this individual knew the teachings of Islam. Astaghfirullah. Um, and so he created this religion and he created these temples around the United States. And it started out very small. And so he came across a man named Elijah Muhammad, who was an African-American man, and told them that he was now the prophet of God and that he was God himself. And so Wallace D. Fart ended up leaving, disappearing. 
and giving placing the hand of the religion to Elijah Muhammad's. And he began to create temples and ultimately Malcolm X's brothers converted towards this religion. And that religion began to espouse some teachings similar to Islam, but people identified as, a, as kind of a black nationalist religion. Um, and one of their core beliefs was that all white people, with no exceptions, all white people are the devil inherently. And they have a whole theology surrounding that. And so when Malcolm X was in prison and his brothers came to him, they convinced him of their religion and he converted to it. And the reason why it was so appeasing to him, which people should really contemplate on, is they told him that all white people are the devils. And so in his autobiography, Malcolm says that when he began to ponder upon that meaning, he realized that that statement was true, that every white person he ever met was a devil including the KKK who killed his father, including uh, the security officers who placed his mother into a mental asylum, including the teacher who told him that he can't be a lawyer and the best thing he could be was a carpenter, including the white woman who deceived him and including the white judge who screwed him over. And so that's how he came in contact with the nation of Islam. And the beauty is when he came in contact with this religion is it opened his mind up. And he finally became what we now deem woke. And so he was reading every single book that was out there, the toughest of books. And subhanAllah, you know, you know, Allah had given him guidance. At that time, he was, he was within the wrong religion. But at that point, he was dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge, which our Prophet wasallam has said, from the cradle to the grave. And so Malcolm X understood that. And he spent weeks writing every single word in a dictionary from the beginning until the end. And after he had completed that, he realized he could now actually write sentences now because his education was so poor leading up to it that he couldn't even write a sentence. And so ultimately he began to debate. And once he got outside of prison, he became a minister of the nation of Islam. Uh, and that's where he became prominent during the civil rights movement. And um, obviously, we don't have enough time to go through the entirety of it. But in 1959, and this is what my paper argues. In 1959, Malcolm is sent to Saudi Arabia and he's sent to Sudan. And while he's there, he realizes that the Islam that he has been teaching is the wrong Islam. And so hmm. the Sudanese, including one man named Dr. Malik Bedri, who is known today as the father of modern Islamic psychology, uh, was working with him and convincing him what orthodox Islam is. And so when Malcolm X comes back from in 1959, he realizes there's a contradiction between the two religions. And now he sets on this journey trying to figure out what true Islam is. And a Sudanese student named Ahmed Usman comes to him and tells him in while Malcolm is preaching in his own mosque, a Sudanese man says to him, he says, you're preaching the wrong Islam. Islam does not teach hatred based on a person's skin color. And Malcolm X, Malcolm X, may Allah be pleased with him, knew the Quran very well. And so he quoted a verse of the Quran, which said that uh, the people with blue eyes on the day of judgment will be in some sort of torment. And Ahmed Usman told him that's the wrong interpretation of that ayat. And so they had a little debate, but they became friends. And Malcolm told him, I need you to give me proper Islamic da'wah materials because I'm, I, I need to figure out what true Islam is. And so that relationship, which lasts about four or five years, ultimately ends up in 1964 of Malcolm X taking the Shahada in New York, not while at Hajj. In New York, he took it. And we have the physical document which shows his signature that he became a Muslim. And so... Um, that's one of the major misconceptions about him. But Malcolm X, when he goes on his famous hedge trip, his mind begins to open because he begins to realize that Islam is the religion that solves the race issue. Because while he was there, he was sleeping with people who had white skin color. And he said something quite fascinating. He said, the white people over there were white, not when they said they were white, it wasn't something they were necessarily proud of. It wasn't a quality but it was just the color of their skin. And they treated me just like I was any other person, as if we were all one brotherhood. 
And so when Malcolm X comes back, he begins to preach true Islam. Um, but inevitably, he gets into conflicts with the nation of Islam. And ultimately, Malcolm X is murdered while giving a khutbah. And what's something so interesting about Malcolm X, subhanAllah, is his career begins on the mimbar. And it also ended on the mimbar. Meaning it began when he, when he started giving his khutbahs. And at that same spot, the last words of his life were, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi barakatuh. And then he was shot. Six shotgun bullets within the heart um, immediately killed him. But it's important to remember that at that moment, that was the moment that Allah honored him. And how did Allah honor him? Allah honored him by giving him the title of shaheed, of martyr. And so that was the day Malcolm X was elevated into one of the highest statuses that any human being can receive, which is a level of martyrdom. And so in a nutshell, that is the life of Malcolm X. And Malcolm X, rahimahullah, is responsible for the conversion of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And some of our biggest scholars here in the West converted to Islam because of Malcolm X. And today we're seeing, particularly within the NBA, we're seeing people like Steven Jackson, like Kyrie Irving, like Jalen Brown. And I'm making a prediction right here on the Three Muslims podcast, and inshallah it works. But Kevin Durant, I believe, is a secret Muslim. And I believe he will come out as well. But all of them, Malcolm X played a significant role. And without Malcolm X, I want everybody to listen very carefully. Without Malcolm X, we do not get Muhammad Ali. We get Muhammad Ali, the boxer, but not Muhammad Ali, the political icon. Because Malcolm was responsible for Ali's conversion. They were best friends. And when nobody was in Muhammad Ali's corner, when he had his big fight against Sonny Liston, the nation of Islam did not want him. None of the reporters wanted him. He only had one man in his corner, metaphorically and literally, because he invited Malcolm there. And so Malcolm X has left a tremendous legacy. Um, and inshallah, through this discussion, we can get more insight into who this brilliant person was, inshallah. So, bro, I have a question for you. Just yeah. like hearing everything so far, why Malcolm X? Like, what what brought you to Malcolm X? So, where you started researching, and uh, basically, you found out that he became Muslim before going on Hajj. I just stole my question. Oh, that's <laughs> what you're gonna ask as well. Yeah, because you know, it's, it's passionate, but I was wondering, like, why him specifically? Mm-hmm. In the page, in Malcolm X's autobiography, on the page before he goes to prison, he says, people are always asking me how I became the person that I became. And he said, it's not a simple question to answer. Because if you want the answer, you need to analyze a person's life from the moment that they're born up until this stage. And once you've analyzed everything, then you'll have an idea of how I became the person that I became. And how I went from somebody who was a drug dealer to a prisoner into somebody who, who found the light and the religion of Islam, which Allah honored me with. And so that's, I'm paraphrasing, but that's almost directly what he says in his autobiography. And, you know, you know, in life, you go through different types of awakenings. There's one awakening, which we call the spiritual awakening. There's a time in our life where we wake up spiritually. For, for people like Angel, it's when they come across the truth and they realize that they found the truth and now they want to live their entire life knowing that, you know, Islam is what my life is about. It's what the purpose of my life is. For those people who are born Muslims, for them, that awakening, for some people, it doesn't happen. For other people, there's a moment in a person's life where they go from being praying Salah because their parents have forced them to to them doing it on their own accord. And so that is one form of, of awakening. But in my life, the intellectual awakening, one of the most profound moments of my entire life, which completely changed the entirety of my life, was reading the biography of Malcolm X. Rahimahullah. And I remember that moment so vividly because it was, it was Black History Month. And somebody had shared an article that said the name Malcolm X. 
And at that time, I was like, I've heard of the name Malcolm X before, and I've heard he had some relation with Islam, but I'm not sure necessarily what that is. And so I remember watching a documentary immediately. And after I finished it, I said, I need more. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, stuff that I don't like this comparison, but it's like when somebody's hooked on something, whether it's like, you know, a drug or something, you know, they need more of it. And I was like, I was like, yo, I literally tomorrow, first thing in the morning, I'm going to the library and I'm going to pick the fattest book on Malcolm X. Um, and so I went to the library and I just picked up the first book that was there. I didn't even like read the back cover. I just picked it up, checked it out. And I, I blazed through that book. And that moment while I was reading it is what changed the complete trajectory of my life. Subhanallah. And so Malcolm X is one of the most profound characters within my life. After Allah, Allah's messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, my immediate family, I put him up there. And no matter how many books that I read of his, there's always more to learn. And the least I can do to him is I can explain to people his legacy for what he has done for me. And so people who know me well, they always joke around about me and Malcolm X. They'll always create these memes and stuff like that because of how much I love him and how much we as a community are blessed to have somebody like that. And when he was in Saudi Arabia, they told him, Saudi Arabia or Egypt, they said, we are going to make you the Imam of America. And that is our Imam. Some people want to discredit him and say he had a very low understanding of Islam. That's false. He went, he studied at Al-Azhar University. He received Ijazah, meaning a certificate. He studied in Saudi Arabia and he began to understand his religion at, a, at, at almost at a high level. Like he was getting there. And he was our Imam. He established masjids here in, uh, in America. And, um, you know, Many people have given their testimonies, but he's had a profound impact on my life. And that's why I personally feel that if some, when people come to me, and this happened just this week, people come to me and they say, Ahmed, how can we get woke? Or Ahmed, I'm interested in reading. The first thing I always tell them is the greatest book you'll ever read is the Quran. And I keep emphasizing that to them. But some of them, they also say, okay, can you give us another supplementary book? And judging by the person, most of the time, I recommend the autobiography of Malcolm X. And wallahi, you know, I swear by Allah, I've seen people's lives change through that book. Complete lives. And you go, you know, you can ask other people, other scholars, and they the great, are some of our biggest scholars in the United States became Muslim because of Malcolm X. And I'll repeat that. White converts have become some of the biggest scholars in the United States, people like Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah, simply because of reading Malcolm X and his story. And so um, as deep as an attachment that I have to him, there are people who have deeper attachments, but I visited Harlem. Um, I've been to the spots where he's done his khutbahs and I've been to the first masjid that he created. And I've had conversations with some of the brothers over there, but he is somebody whose legacy we're now we're beginning to see revived. Now the name Malcolm X, it's almost a household name, even though people don't know who he is. And so this is, this is something that inshallah we should be working on because his philosophy matches identically almost with the three Muslims podcast. It's like a perfect connection. <laughs> Man, really? How so? Well, one thing is Malcolm was against feminine men. And much of your guys' work. So, for example, um, he knew that Islam had specific teachings surrounding women um, and men and gender relations. But he said one of the core problems is that our men have become weak and that we need to make our men strong. And that's why part of the nation of Islam, they, have, they had almost like a security or like a military agency underneath it called the fruit of Islam. And it really made men tough. And as much as we kind of want to hate on the nation of Islam because their aqidah is false, they've done a tremendous job, one, at bringing people uh, into the folds of Islam from the African-American community, but they were a very strong people. And that's where Malcolm X get his, gets his strong nature. People quote his favorite saying that, um, be nice, be courteous to people, but if somebody puts their hand on you, you send them to the grave. 
because this was a man who didn't mess around. And when people came to his house near the end of his life to firebomb his house, immediately he took his AK and he went outside and he said, if I saw a single person out there, I would have started shooting because he saw that, he saw that as, a, 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 as a test, as an attack on his family. And he knew he was the head of a family. And, you know, you, you have, for example, you guys have your intimacy series and stuff too. He said that the core characteristic that women chase after is not men that are, that, that are kind, but it's men who are strong, men who can protect them. And these are some of the things that I've taken from your podcast, which I think coincide with Malcolm's philosophy. Rahimahullah. MashaAllah. Bro, I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea it was like this with Malcolm X, bro. Like, I, I heard about him in school, but it, it wasn't nothing like this. It was like, oh, uh, you know, Malcolm X, uh, something about uh, Black History Month, and they, they kind of like said a little bit here and there, but like, I never read his uh, his biography. That's what you said, right? Auto Autobiography. Autobiography. Meaning written, written yeah. by him. Yeah, my apologies. My apologies. Mm -hmm. no I think I'm going to um, add that to my Q now, inshallah. Yeah, I'm going to read that too. I'm going to read that too, inshallah, because, bro, like, it, he sounds legit. You know, Malcolm X is, rahimahullah, is one of the most eloquent speakers in human history. And all you have to do is go on YouTube because most of his speeches are on YouTube. And just listen to the type of rhetoric that he has. And it's, the mo it's so convincing that even people who disagreed with him recognized his eloquency. And today, when you want to study rhetoric, you know, people want to say rhetoric is bad. Rhetoric is a means of convincing people, of beautifying your language. Um, and the, the proof of why the Quran is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not necessarily scientific, but it's rhetorical. And the stuff that the Quran uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. So rhetoric is something which is good. Um, touching upon your point, why people don't know more about him. Malcolm X said, rahimahullah, in the last page of his autobiography, because the last chapter of his autobiography was one that was written before his death, in which he discussed his death and what the world would think about him after he died. I mean, this is the wisdom that Allah gave him, that he knew he was going to die, and he knew that this last paragraph was going to have a profound impact on how his legacy was told. And I think, you know, in the third last paragraph, uh, I almost have the book like memorized now. <laughs> um, but on the last page, he says that when I die, the white man is going to convince you that I was a demigod, that I was a hate preacher. But all I was doing is I was revealing up, I was holding up a mirror that's going to reflect back, that was, that was reflecting the crimes that the white race has done against my people. And he said their media is going to brainwash people into thinking that I am this, this, this hate preacher. And that's precisely what happened after he passed away. And the school textbooks used to be filled with that type of rhetoric. Um, that's how the media used to perceive him. All of the biographies had that. But what you're witnessing now within really like the last 10 years among this whole Black Lives Matter movement is people are beginning to reassess his legacy. And they're beginning to realize that there's a lot of things that we thought about him are actually false. Especially this one point that he, he believed that all white people were evil and that they should be somewhat demonized. Um, when he was with the nation in the early moments, because that was part of the nation's teachings, he did necessarily believe in it. But very early on, all the way up to 1959, so five years before his death, he began to disavow those beliefs. And he began to say it at an, like, at an archetypical level, talking about what the right race has done to my people and not necessarily what every white person has done. And so there are books out now called The Sword and the Shield. Um, the other one is called Dreams and Nightmares. And they reveal that Malcolm and Dr. King were a lot closer in their philosophy. And they weren't necessarily always at odds with one another. And in fact, during the last... Uh, month or two of Malcolm's life uh, when he left the nation he visited uh, Dr. King's wife because Dr. King was in prison at that time 
And he told her, this is very interesting. He told her, he said, he said, the reason my views are so radical is that when the white man looks at me, he realizes how radical I am. And then he'll say that Dr. King's option is a lot less radical and we should just follow him instead. <laughs> Subhanallah. So the mind games he was playing were, he was at another level, subhanAllah. And few people uh, reached that level, especially he, he died at the age of 39. And remember, the prophets begin at the age of 40. Because at 40 is when the wisdom comes in, the hikmah comes in. And when he was 38, 39, you began to see a change in his rhetoric. He's not as aggressive. He's more calm because he's really trying to figure out what the answer is. And one of the most beautiful hallmarks of Malcolm X, rahimahullah, which all of us should aspire towards, is he was very sincere. And he was always checking to make sure whether or not his beliefs were correct or whether or not they were false. And that's the reason why he embraced Orthodox Islam is that when Ahmed Usman, the Sudanese student, approached him, rather than saying, get out of my mosque, you know what he said to him instead? He said, I've been to Sudan and I know the Sudanese. The Sudanese have treated me nicely and so we will treat him nicely. And it was the Sudanese Muslims that gave that impression on him. And all of the major Muslims in his life, whether it was Ahmed Usman, whether it was Malik Badri, or whether it was his sheikh, um, I can't remember his name. They were all Sudanese. And so we have a lot to thank the Sudanese for the legacy of Malcolm X, rahimahullah. But the other thing of Malcolm X, which is very important, and people don't discuss, because this is hard information to find, is that Malcolm X, rahimahullah, um, was somebody who was the furthest thing from being a snitch. And when he left the nation of Islam and they had horrible relations with one another, the FBI came to his house. And this is all on YouTube. You can listen to the audio recording. And the FBI tells him that now that you're away from the nation, we think the nation is radical. So if you can please give us some information, we'll give you some sort of incentive. And the first thing he says to them, again, it's on YouTube, is there's no way I'm going to snitch on my fellow African-American. There's no way. Don't, don't be stupid enough to think that I'm going to compromise here for a couple dollars. And he didn't know he was being recorded either. And the FBI had been monitoring Malcolm X for the entirety of his career. And the man who was recording Malcolm X, record, spying on his recordings, spying on his phone call, following him wherever he went, he said, this is a man of high moral character who does not smoke, nor does he drink. And they tried everything they possibly could to find some sort of flaw within Malcolm after his career began, and they could not find anything, which reveals how much he valued his religion. And he knew Islam at a very, he knew the, at least the Quran at a very high level. He knew Quranic verses. He used to quote hadith. He always used to say, that actions are based upon intentions. And he used to say, if the person had the intention of a devil, well, that makes them the devil. <laughs> um, so, and the last thing I will say regarding this topic is, um, in 1961, Elijah Muhammad got Malcolm X and he said, we're going to meet with the KKK. And Malcolm said, are you sure about that? Like, like these guys are trying to ki kill us. They're the ones that killed my father. And Elijah Muhammad said, both of us have similar goals in that the KKK want their own state or their own country without the African-Americans. And we want our own country, our own state without the white population as well. And so Malcolm X had a meeting with the KKK in which the KKK came visited him. And they had a discussion and some of them were FBI informants. And that's really how we have this story is because the FBI infiltrated everything. And also when Malcolm was killed, the people that were around him, and I think including the person who was holding his body, they were all FBI informants. And there's a good book called the FBI and religion, 
which has a chapter solely on Malcolm X and his relation with the FBI. And they used every tactic possible to cause disunity between both of them. The same tactics they use in the post 9-11 world where they try to go against the Muslims by sending fake converts there is the same tactic they use against Malcolm X. And so Malcolm X was a very smart individual and he knew the FBI was always monitoring him. So in that interview, when both sides were there, um, the KKK said to Malcolm, uh, we can make you partners. Um, and uh, Malcolm X rhetorically, he was saying as a joke to them because he wasn't scared of them. He wasn't scared of nobody except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, what do you mean we can't join the KKK um, as an official joke? And uh, they said, well, you know, maybe we can make you a partner. He said, are you guys going to give us the white robes as well? <laughs> And they said, we can't give no black person a, a white robe. And so he said, um, like, we really want one. They're like, we'll get you a purple robe. And he said, you know what? Like, like screw you guys. Like, we don't want anything to do with you guys. Um, and so they asked, now that you disagree with Dr. King and you have issues with him, give us his address and we'll kill him for you. And Malcolm X responded and said, there's no way in hell I'm going to give you his information. And there's no way in hell, even though I disagree with him, that I'm going to allow you to kill an African-American. And the lesson, another lesson we can take from him is, you know, throughout the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, talks about unity, right? Hold tightly onto the rope of Allah and don't be divided. And although Malcolm understood the divisions that existed within his African-American community, particularly his relations with the nation of Islam, he never snitched on anybody. And he always wanted to make sure that there was more unity. And so um, these are some of the lessons that I think we can take from Malcolm X. Um, but we can have entire series on Malcolm X um, because of the influence that he's had and what lessons we can take from it. Because, you know, that's the story in the Quran at the end of Surah Yusuf which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says is the best of all stories. Allah says, That we tell you these stories so you can derive lessons from it. And the reason we study Malcolm X, not only is it to understand the great contribution, the great legacy that he has, but also the lessons that we can take from it. Because in his autobiography, when both of you read it, you'll find many things which people today try to use to cancel him, his views on Zionism, his views on women, his views on the white race, many things which are taken out of context in which we can have a proper discussion on. But he understood, he understood life. He understood it at a very high level. And he was solely dedicated towards the international Muslim cause. And when he was in Egypt, he wrote an article for them refuting Zionism and talking about how the Palestinians were being mistreated. And what he said is that if the argument is that the Jews were there first, he said, well, the Muslims were in Spain first. Does that give Muslims the right to go into Spain today and kick out the Spanish population? Showing, you know, he was showing the flaws within their argument. And he was the first one to speak out against Vietnam and the oppression and the war that was going on there. So he spoke about everything. Because he understood that justice is what we are after. And he has a famous saying, which is very hard to find, but I came across. He said, I would never follow a religion which told me to only pray and not do anything else about it. Today, we hear often just make dua and things will get better. Even though the Prophet ﷺ said that tie your camel and ask for the dua uh, uh, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's you know in a nutshell that's who Malcolm X may Allah be pleased with him is well, what were his views on women if you well, want he to believed, that up yeah well he believed in the traditional Islamic understanding of gender roles so I'll give you an example my last semester at university um, I took a class on Malcolm X and Dr. King and we were reading, you know, there are some, some of the books on Malcolm X you have to be careful about because people have all these ideologies. So, for example, you have some Manning Mirable is one of the most famous. He tries to make a very ignorant argument 
that Malcolm X during his criminal days was a homosexual. He has no evidence for it at all. And my response to him is when Malcolm became a criminal, he, I mean, when Malcolm became a preacher, he continuously talked about all of the sins that he engaged in. And had he engaged in that homosexual act, he would have told us because that would have only increased the legacy, um, the power that Islam had on him. So it's a very stupid argument. The other argument to try making is, oh, he was a misogynist. Why? Well, because he believed in, you know, what, what today is called the patriarchy, right? Which you guys have, you know, you guys know very well. He believed in, you know, men, women, the men was the head of a family. And just like he criticized men, he criticized women because both genders are open to criticism. And so when he did that, some people said, oh, you know, he's, he's a bit misogynistic, but that was furthest from the case. His wife loved him. There's no instance of him ever hitting her. Uh, these things just don't exist. So, you know, they want to come after our heroes at the end of the day. And if we're not publishing uh, articles academically refuting them, this is what the masses are going to be taught. And so when I was in that class, I was just bodying everyone, subhanAllah. Like I, I was just so passionate that anytime they brought up any of these accusations, I just had to put even the professor into her place, um, even though she loved me. But uh, we have to honor our great heroes. And he is one of our great imams that lived, you know, he lived when, you know, our parents, our grandparents were alive. He's not that old, right? He's still around. And um, so that's basically his views on women. Same thing as Islam. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So when you were saying about the things that, the awakenings and you know we were referring how i had my awakening when i came across uh, the truth the quran uh you were saying about the awakenings how some born muslims have when they actually start to practice the deen without being told to do so and then you had mentioned the intellectual awakening that you had when you had picked up this book and you started reading about malcolm x so my question is that what what exactly was this awakening for you? Like what popped in your head that like you would even refer to as an awakening? Just give me one second. I need to close my door oh, and I'll answer your question. Yeah, I'm go ahead, bro. Too much noise. Go ahead, bro. I just want to make a quick note that when Brother Ahmed mentioned that um, you know, that's 40 is when you know all the prophets, uh, you know, people men became prophets, right? It's all of the, the prophets except uh, Isa alayhi salam. But I'm sure y'all know that if you know what yeah, you should know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an excellent question, bro. Um, you know, in, in life, uh, I'm going to re-mention this again because it's relevant. You go through these awakenings. Um, and when you go, and I'm sure, you know, both of you have been through it so you can relate but when you go through these awakenings, you really begin to see life through a completely different lens. And you begin to really question. You don't really question your existence in like a nihilistic way. But you're really just questioning like, what have I been really been doing my whole life? Like I've been really wasting the entirety of my life. And that's really how I felt. And when I picked up that book and I finished it, I knew from that moment my life had changed and a new door, a new chapter was going to open. And at that time, I was not, I was not a properly practicing Muslim in the sense that I was praying. But again, my parents were kind of forcing me. And so that coincided with kind of my religious, my spiritual awakening. And it all came together and just, I had that, I had that thing that I was really searching for, Right. You know, we all, we, all of us, you know, there's a point of our life where we've been watching motivational videos on YouTube, right? Motivation in this, <laughs> Fayad knows because he's a trainer. <laughs> um, but you watch these motivational videos because you're always lazy. And for some people, they watch it because they really want to work out. For other people, it's because they want to study. For other people, they, they really just want to transform their life. And what always happens when you watch that video is you get a high that doesn't last long. 
And so you're stuck on this cycle of continuously watching these videos over and over again. And it's the same cycle. And so for me, I used to binge watch all those videos, but nothing would change. But the moment I started reading, I began to realize that this is the motivation that I need. And that's why the first word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Quran was not listen, was not speak, was not go out and do other things, but it was iqra, read, read. Because readers are leaders. Readers are the ones who are, who are having an impact on this world. The people at the highest level intellectually were readers. And Malcolm X said that when he was in prison, you could not find one moment where he was not reading. And because he was such a good student, they allowed him to take the library books into his room. And I want everybody to listen to, what, listen to this because this perfectly encapsulates how much Malcolm X valued knowledge. At the end, at nighttime, at the end of every hour, uh, an officer would walk through the halls to make sure everybody was asleep. And what Malcolm X would do is he would read all night long. And every time the hour would begin, as the officer would walk by, he would go to bed and he would fake sleep. And because the only light was the light in the hallway, after the officer left, he would go all the way into the, into the, the prison walls and he would be reading there. And he read so much that he says in his autobiography, I went from having 20-20 vision to getting glasses just because of his addiction for reading. And you do not get Malcolm X without reading. You simply do not. Malcolm X did not watch videos. He didn't attend lectures. He did, he did these things. He debated, but reading, because reading was the foundational thing that opened up the entirety of his life. And he had read the great works of history. Malcolm X was a historian. He was a world, he knew philosophy. He knew philosophy at a very high level. He had read all the great works. He had read the books on genetics. And most importantly, he understood the crimes that the white race had done to his people. And when he, when he would read them, he would begin to cry. And, but despite all of that, he always read about Islam. He read many of the da'wah books. Even while he was in prison, he used to read books in Islam. And again, this is something very few people knew. But Malcolm X, when he wanted to study Christianity when he was in prison, because he was very sincere, he, got, he got to bring a chaplain. Malcolm you, you, used to you're today, cutting out. You're cutting out, Jehovah's bro. Witness person said, and they, they want to hide all this information. Oh, I'm cutting out? Yeah, you're cutting out, brother. There you're we go. You're back. Ah, uh, you're back. One second. Okay, can you hear me now? Yo, Mohammed, when you edit yeah. this, just, just take that part out. Yeah, go on, bro. Nah, nah, keep it in. That was perfect. That was perfect? <laughs> It sounded like a like you know when you like speak into a fan like a uh -huh. physical yeah. fan and then I uh -huh. and I hear Jehovah's Witnesses and I was like what? <laughs> uh -huh. But readers uh -huh. are leaders, bro. I like that quote, bro. It sounds like some something I'd seen in the library, bro, when I was a kid. Hundred percent. Um, and so what the Jehovah's Witness person said is, as much as I was teaching him about Islam, I mean, uh, um, the Jehovah's Witness said, as much as I was teaching him about Christianity. He had a very particular interest in Islam. And he wasn't referring to the nation of Islam. He was referring to Orthodox Sunni Islam. And you will find people, who, if, if you won't believe this, you'll find this in the book, um, On the Side of My People, A Religious Biography of Malcolm X by Louis DeCaro. You know, you always got to have your references ready because people will, will always accuse you. Um, and so Malcolm X even when he was in prison, he was reading biographies of the Prophet And this is a fact. And so um, readers are leaders, man. Readers are leaders. And in our community, we're trying to get book clubs started. And, um, you know, I'm trying to also do it with my own podcast, have my own personal book club and open it up to people. But it, it also would be beneficial if the three Muslims kind of did their own. 
because um, you see many people, many of our big scholars, our big academics, they have their own book clubs and they're able to teach people these things. And interestingly, one of the first books they read is the autobiography of Malcolm X, subhanAllah. And so um, our community needs to be readers. The statistics are very clear. The nations that are doing the best per capita, are, the nations that are doing the best are the ones who are reading the most books per capita. And so reading is really what we should be striving for. And in today's age, bro, if you don't really have the time to sit down and read, that's fine. We have audiobooks. And audiobooks are one of the greatest inventions of the last 10 years in my life. Because while I'm working out, while I'm going for a jog, while I'm driving, eating food, I'm finishing a book. And in the span of time that I could be instead listening to music or I could be doing other things, I'm finishing a whole book. And bro, I'm getting the amount my own- of paper it saves. Exactly. Exactly. There's some books. Yeah, say that with your library in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I was saying that is. That wasn't a job, bro. No, no, no. But what I was saying is there's some books, though, that you have to physically read. Mm-hmm that an audio book is just not going to work. Um, because the, like the Quran says, Do they not ponder? Do they not deeply reflect on the Quran? Or is it that they have locks on their hearts? And so when we're reading, we need to be contemplating very deeply. And some of this material will only make sense the second or third time that you're reading. And what my podcast is really about is I'm just doing... I, a lot of it of what I'm doing are book reviews with authors because I'm trying to condense the entire book, its entire thesis in the span of one hour. And so readers are leaders and Fayad do something with that, with that line, bro. hundred percent, bro. hundred percent. Yeah. When you were saying read, it reminds me of the, uh, the Muslim, my bad, I butchered it, but the Muslim spoken word by um i think it's like one islam or islam path or something like that have you guys seen that the meaning of life uh by i think it's by jabir jabir ibrahim is i think his name and yeah. his relative his uncle or relative is the one who did the janaza for malcolm x i believe subhanallah really i believe his name is jabir ibrahim and his his one of his relative did the janazah for Malcolm X from if, from whatever cause subhanallah. So it's all connected, bro. It's all connected. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. So another question, man, because I'm like, I'm curious. I, I like knowing like what's actually popping off in someone's mind and someone's life when they have this type of awakening. But you said that it was like this motivation for you it was like deeper than motivation. It's like when you read it, it's like you knew something was going to change but what was it specifically that stood out if it wasn't the entire book? Like, it was there like something specific that just really popped off at you? It's hard to pinpoint one specific thing, even though I can give you many. But the thing about Malcolm X's life, Rahimahullah, is that his life reveals, and I know this is going to hit home with everybody, but especially with Angel, is the story of Malcolm X's life is it's not about how you start the race. It's about how you end the race. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in a Muslim family, just because of that, you're not guaranteed paradise because people lose their faith. Some people question the religion. And on the other hand, you have people who are not born into Muslim families and end up finding it. And had we judged, and the story is you can't judge people until you know the ending of their life. Because if we judged Malcolm based on when he was in prison, all of us collectively would have said some horrible things about him, which I don't want to say. But because you see the end, you see where he ended up. And really, all of Malcolm X's work that he does within his career is a span of 17, 18 years. It's very short. Very short. It's not that long. But after he had that awakening, what I resonated with is he saw the problems in his community, in the African-American community, and he said, we need to do something about this. And the one thing I thank the Islamophobia industry is because they woke me up on this topic. Because I started reading their material and saying, 
if this is what they're saying, is Islam really true? And so I started studying Islam at a deep level, reading through thick research articles. And then I began to realize like, look, I need to be proud that I'm a Muslim. And I know you guys have, I think, a video or like a short clip you posted on YouTube about how, you know, you, we weren't always mo the most practicing Muslims. And the Islamophobia industry is responsible for me for having that awakening. But that comes after Malcolm X. And so my message to everybody who is, who is going through moments in their life where they need motivation, where they feel like they're not where they're, where they're at right now and they're nowhere near their goal is read. And the most profound book you will read is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And wallahi, I swear, you combine all of the books here, it's nothing compared to what the Quran has done to me. Wallahi, I will say it again and again. Some people want to say that this is just, oh, these people just hyping up their own book. No. The Quran is the book. Ask Angel what the Quran did to him. Ask Fayyad. Ask everybody. The Quran is the most profound. And in terms of being woke, the Quran is the most the book that will get you more woke than anything because it explains to you what this world is really about, who created the world, and why that person created you. And Malcolm X did all of his secular reading. I don't like using the word secular, but he did all his secular reading. But when he came across the truth of Islam and he combined the two, that's when you got Malcolm X or what he called Malcolm Shabazz because the X in his name is a signification of him eradicating his last name, which is the last name of his slave master because his name is Malcolm Little. And what the Nation of Islam did is they said, we want to disavow our, um, our last names because these are white men names. There was no black man named Washington, right? There was no black man named Little. These are white names. And so we are going to remove it and we're creating a new identity. And X represented the unknown, the Roman numeral, the unknown. And so Malcolm X means Malcolm and I don't know my last name. And I don't want to be affiliated with what my slave master name was. And ultimately he ended up taking the last name Shabazz. Well, I'm about to change my last name, Angel X. <laughs> I'm just playing. Give me one second. Let me let me get some light popping because it's about to get real dark in here. Bro, tell me a little bit about why most people think um, that the standard narrative is true, where he became Muslim or took a shahada um, during Hajj or after Hajj. Malcolm X, rahimahullah, was a visionary. Um, he could see into the future, not in a literal sense, but he could see how things would end up. And he knew how the media would create this legacy about who he was and how he hated white people. And that was the only thing. He was a hate monger. He never preached hate ever in his life. He never called for violence. You cannot find a single quote where he talks about violence. It's all about self-defense. Self-defense is who Malcolm was. Um, but because he was a visionary, he knew that he needed to do some da'wah. And he knew that his book was going to become his legacy. And he actually says in his autobiography, he says that I could spend a couple hours working on this book and it would just move the hearts a little bit. He said, or I could spend years on this book and it could have a transformative effect upon everybody. And so what he does in that book is um, he intentionally, you know, at least that's what I believe. Um, and I have a lot of evidence to back that up is he creates this narrative that his shahada was during Hajj because he wanted to create the impression of how beautiful Islam was. And this by no means is a way to diminish the impact that Hajj had on him. It had a completely transformative effect on him, completely transformed him. But he knew that if he kind of carved it in this manner, people would give the credit to Islam. I mean, they would give the credit to Hajj. They would obviously give it to Islam, but they would give it to Hajj. And they would develop that level of curiosity. But um, if anybody is curious, if anybody thinks I'm wrong, I'm, I'm open to criticisms. But please go on my website, Ahmed Khan, A-H-M-E-D-K-H-A-N.ca. And it's the first article you'll see, Mecca and Malcolm. I have all the references there. 
Um, and if you go on the about me page, you'll find my email. You can correspond with me, but many Malcolm X scholars have concurred with me and there's documentaries on this. And I think that's where I think we can kind of almost end off is, <laughs> um, my, bad. my, 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 uh, <laughs> guys my uh my tripod is a uh, finito no worries bro my bad no worries but um the best documentary on this which just came out this year is called um it's on the youtube channel uh, i think it's called ilm history or ilm films uh, very prominent i l m and then it's F-I-L-M-S. I'll send it to Fayad and then he can link in the description. But it's t- literally talking about everything that I've said. It's an hour, an hour and a half long and he proves it as well. So you'll, be, you'll see, inshallah, within the next coming years, things are going to change about the narrative. And that's what people need to understand. I did my degree in history. We learn in history that history is always changing. What we think of the past is not necessarily what the past is. It's our understanding of the past based on our limited set of observations, our limited set of evidence. And I make that very clear in my paper that, look, if new evidence comes in, I'll change my complete thesis. But as of now, I've been through all of the academic literature, and this is where I've ended up. And Mm. the evidence, there's another documentary called Malcolm X and the Sudanese. And in the documentary, they literally hold up the paper of Malcolm X's Shahada. Like they're literally holding it up of his testimony. So um, inshallah, you will see, and this podcast inshallah will change many people's perceptions um, on the matter. But um, we kind of want the right people speaking on, on behalf of Malcolm X and people speaking on the right components, which is why I'm a bit, I'm a bit hesitant to speak on the African-American component of it. Mm. Bro, self-defense. Yeah. hundred percent. I've read a bit, but self-discipline too. That's one of the main takeaways that I took from Malcolm X. I think in, when he was in prison, he, he had like one meal a day, right? He had one meal a day, like uh, the rest, his whole life mm. after prison. The Nation of Islam said, we need to make sure our people are strong physically. And they understood the importance of fasting. And there's a hadith. There's a hadith that says, um, I'm paraphrasing, but some, the Sahaba asked the Prophet wasallam, what do you think of a person who eats one meal a day? And the Prophet ﷺ said, this person's among the prophets, the Anbiya. And then he said, what about a person who eats two meals a day? And the Prophet ﷺ said, he's among the righteous people. And they said, what about a person who eats three meals a day? And he said, he's from like the low people. Like he's from the lower class. Um, although the nation didn't know that hadith, they, were, they knew the importance of eating healthy. So, so Malcolm was skinny, but he was a very healthy individual. And because he was fasting, he had a very sharp mind. And our studies today prove that if you want to have a sharp mind, if you, want, if, you're, if you have like a test the next day, you should fast. And these are things we've known for thousands of years in which all of the prophets have been teaching. Man. So do you ever get flamed for the fact that uh, you, you go so into this whole Malcolm X thing and his life. Uh, do ever do people ever say like, oh, you uh are you treating this guy like a prophet or are you treating him like a like an idol or something like that? Like some shirky. Yeah, like some shirky stuff. Do you ever get flamed for that? No. No, I haven't. You know, I'll say something funny. So at our MSA, um, I did a lecture on Malcolm X. And again, you can find it on my YouTube channel. Um and so the, the, the student body that was booking the rooms, they saw that when we booked the room, we said Malcolm X. Like, this is what we're going to talk about. And she, later I spoke to her, she said, you know, we were a bit scared because we thought you were going to do some revolutionary tactics in there. <laughs> <laughs> because Malcolm is like, he's like the icon of social justice now. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, because people have the wrong perception of him, which is changing, alhamdulillah. Um, they're a bit like, they're they're a little bit scared and they still have these old preconceived notions which are being challenged today and something very important for people to understand very important is when it comes to changing public uh, uh public opinion at the societal level 
it's not the influencers who are going to do it. It's not the influencers. It's not the media. It's the people on top, which are the academics. And so you have a handful of academics together who have conferences, who talk on this subject. And when they declare a winner, they show that winner to the media. They show that winner to the media, uh, to the influencers. And because nobody can beat these people, that's what public opinion now becomes. And now within public opinion, all of the books are portraying Malcolm X rahimahullah in a positive manner, subhanAllah. And this is this is Allah vindicating him from all of the hate that the people previously had upon him. And so you will see a change, even though it's already happened now, within these next few years, people are going to uh, lose these ideas. And it's already being taught within the curriculums uh, in the United States and many of our scholars abroad. And this is another important thing is that Malcolm was known internationally. He was known when he died, the newspaper in Pakistan wrote an obituary about him. The newspaper in Nigeria wrote about him. He had a massive influence in Indonesia, in Malaysia, a massive influence in Turkey and many Turkish politicians write biographies of him today. Many people in Europe, in Canada and people within Africa see him as the model. So he's somebody who's international. He's not only focused in Harlem. He's not only focused in America, but he's gone international. And he is a role model for all of us. A man who did not compromise his beliefs. Who when he was offered many different things to just compromise on his beliefs, he said no. And that's what the prophets do. The prophets, all the prophets, they don't compromise their beliefs. They never. In spite of what the media says, in spite of what the cancel culture says, they don't. And Malcolm X, I believe, cannot really exist in today's age <clears throat> in the sense of cancel culture because they would have canceled him for saying these things. And mm -hmm. if somebody tries to speak like Malcolm X today, they won't be allowed at the universities because universities are very careful, especially student bodies of who they invite. But he spoke at all the major um, universities across the world and I suggest everybody to watch Malcolm's lecture at Oxford University. It's on YouTube. And you just, you see the eloquence of this man, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. So I get the feeling that uh, Malcolm X was one of those individuals where it's like, you either love him or hate him. There's no in between. 100%. My man's holding like a selfie queen. I am. I'm holding <laughs> it. I'm holding it with two hands, bro, because my shoulders are tired. There we go, bro. Get those angles. But no, man, for real, because I think it's I think it's hella important, bro. I think it's hella important that this love me or hate me thing, if you're doing it for the sake of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and you're doing it for Islam and you're speaking the truth, it doesn't matter what people say. Mm. 100%. 100%. Guys, if you made it this far, comment down below. Hashtag bring Ahmed back. And you can't be a real The Three Muslim supporter without going over and subscribing to his channel right now. 100%. Come on, man. Just the way your mind works, subhanAllah. If you guys are on an Apple podcast, Spotify, you're missing out because you can't see the, the beautiful library behind them. Oh, subhanAllah. You know, I was talking to Angel in my podcast, and I was telling him that when it comes to books, we need to read quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And this man looks me in the eye and he says, you're really going to say that with that massive library behind you? <laughs> <laughs> mashallah, mashallah. <laughs> Yo, what was the other topic that we were we were contemplating on discussing? It was uh, between Malcolm X and I think it was Jins. So there, there, there's a lot of topics, which inshallah, I'm going to do my own podcast on, but I would love to do it with you guys as well. Um, many topics which are not explored, which need to be explored. Um, the Jin evil eye one is a very big one because I have many Muslims messaging me. Uh, Muslims, Muslims saying I'm questioning my faith because of I can't believe in jinns and evil eye and then you have non-Muslims who are saying I'm interested in Islam but the thing that's holding me back is jinns and evil eye so I've done alhamdulillah a lot of research on that that was the one topic we really wanted to do because there's a lot of information out there there's more information that proves that realm than information that disproves it and it's not even it's and people like myself who've experienced that realm, who've come into contact with some of these things and who have the stories that they're willing to share. Uh, I, you know, I was with a couple friends uh, two days ago 
and I explained them a story, uh, an incident I had with Evil Eye, and their jaws dropped, and they were in absolute shock because these things exist, and I'm willing to share these stories as well. So that was one of the topics we wanted to do. So let's save that for the next episode then. Inshallah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Inshallah. I got some, I got some off-camera questions, bro. But uh, okay, let's no wrap worries. this up. Yeah. But with that being said, if y'all made it this far for the real OGs, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.